Hello, hello, and welcome to Two Crickets at a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of Amarillo for your mind, or alternative non-branded cream liqueur. I don't actually know if Amarillo is trademarked or whatever, and we can't use it at the podcast. But anyway, I'm half of your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined by the other half of your host. A very disturbed Gabriel Krauser. This thought has yeah, never occurred to me. Dude, yeah, I've been thinking should... about it for a while. No, dude, we do it until the cease and desist letter comes. No, until... No, man, it's we should ask... They should be paying us. <laughs> We've got such fabulous listeners. I, you I, did I an episode. Great, yes, you did an episode relatively recently where you went on at length about uh, 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 recounting urine-related stories about how alcohol is bad for young men. I'm not sure if that Amarillo's <laughs> going to back us. <laughs> Dude, I'm talking about Amarillo for your mind here. <laughs> Tough on the body, good on the mind. Okay, well, never mind that. Um, <laughs> let's see, let's see if if we, we charge them or they charge us. I, 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 Nick, it's been a difficult week because I continue to be grounded by the fundamental fact of South African coexistence, the thing that binds almost all of us together, which is load shedding. Uh, ah, the sweet, sweet load shedding. I saw. Uh, I just want to. I have to explain the reverse brag is that you know I have been living for a year and a half in a household with a generator, <laughs> and I moved out just to do a little bit of house sitting uh, to a place that does not have a generator. Just as we hit stage six, and oh, my condolences, sir. And I feel <laughs> I just. I feel like the opposite of smug. Like I was smug, and now I'm the opposite of smug. Yes. Okay. What was that? So Andrew Director, I just saw, has just said, uh, if you don't go back to work, ESCOM employees, we're gonna not pay you and fine you and maybe prosecute you. Great. Um, Great. <laughs> no, that's very good for him to say. But once again, the CEO of ESCOM is saying it, and the president is. These are his friends. It's the unions. Yeah. In fact, isn't yeah. it actually his specific union that may have that may be involved? Isn't Num one Lost. of the? Lost. I don't know. Anyway, Dude, uh, can, I, can I just say it anyway while we were on the news of the week? Yes. So you know, everyone's been going over the Zonda Commission report. Last week came out. This week, some more digestion. It's like at this stage, I feel like people have like chewed it down and burped it out, and they don't want to hear anything. Here's the one thing you have to know. Part one was the best part because it did a legal analysis of the fundamental framework that needs to change in order for this to work. And we've talked about it a million times. I've done a million press releases about it. Every journalist editor in the country has definitely come across this. Thanks to me. I'm very <laughs> proud to say it's through my back channeling. Yes. Not all of them have spoken about it though. And that's, but that's a different issue. <laughs> Not exactly all of them. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, Zondo said, dude, you've got to choose. You can't pretend it's like equal on the race preferencing and the and the merit. Melanin and merit can't be equal. You've got to say one is more important than the other. You have to choose. And so like, okay, just say melanin is more important. But he recommends you say merit is more important because it'd be better for the poor. Um, that's... That's a summary you can read, page 797 of part one of the report. Here's the one thing you have to know. That was released on 4th January 2022. 
okay? And on 8th January, Ndimi Sisulu said that people in the upper echelons of the judiciary have a col are mentally colonized and right. are starting to consort with those who dispossessed our ancestors. That whole, the, the, the most outrageous, scandalous, like, verbal act by an ANC leader of the year was directed at the top of the judiciary at the time when the Deputy Chief Justice had just said, for the first time in South Africa's history, from that position of judicial power, uh, something that overtly critical of the policy. Just, just know that you live in a country, if you're listening to this from within Amarula land, uh, <laughs> where, where that fact <laughs> has somehow been considered unnewsworthy almost everywhere for the last six yes. months. It's flipping profound. Anyway. <laughs> and I want to say it because before the Zondo Commission fades way into the rearview mirror, I just want people to remember like that its heaviest critic um, responded to the heaviest criticism within the report already back in January. Uh, yeah. That's very good. It's very good that someone's actually saying it, and you can. We've, we've said it before. There's a shift in the force, and we're not there yet, but we're seeing some glimmers of good things coming down. The oh, road. dude, did you see uh, that News Twenty Four piece where there was some guy who was like, "Why is it News Twenty Four? You know, some guy who's like, <coughs> "I'm not renew." Dear Sir Ramaphosa, I'm not renewing my ANC subscription. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are no longer fit to run the country. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> it's about damn time. Um, Every, everybody disembarks the Titanic at some point. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, well, not everyone yet, and that's part of the problem. Is we we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but uh, yeah, let's <laughs> let's not I get did. too bogged down on that. Everybody eventually, in the long run, we're all dead. Hey, the, not not the band. The band went down with the ship on the Titanic. Yeah, no, they disembarked. They, their corpses they was, they, rotted. Their corpses are the, still in there. <laughs> no, they are not. They rotted in the salt water. Or is salt water such a good preservative? No, well, I mean, there's probably some bones still there, but <laughs> this is this. Dude, <laughs> this is, that totally too technical. If the fish that, come and eat your eyeballs out of your skull socket, uh, and then swim out of the Titanic, then I think that counts as disembarking. Okay, no? fine. Uh, look, I don't, I don't agree. Because firstly, I think that uh, that you have to willingly disembark with, from the ship. But fair enough, I take your point. <laughs> for the sake of the metaphor, you for the that. sake of the metaphor, I will concede on this point. <laughs> uh, so we wanted to talk about. Uh, uh, Can I kick this off? Yeah, I, about I, SCOTUS. I, that is I've the got, Supreme Court of the United States. Yes. So I, I want to talk about. I don't want to. I don't. I, I don't want to relitigate the abortion issue from all the way in the beginning, um, and that is the judgment that has drawn the most attention from the Supreme Court of the United States. Yes. I think that one of our colleagues said it really well. Uh, Terence Corrigan said, uh, "A lot of people are acting as if this judgment was delivered in Puff Adar, and is going to determine the rights of everyone from sort of Cape Town to the Zimbabwe." Yes. It's also, it's, it's also, you know, uh, it also said um, that uh, what is it? Mississippi can have a law that brings it into line with uh, the abortion laws in European countries. But <laughs> let's let's not get too. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen <laughs> weeks. Week. Fifteen <laughs> weeks is like 
is like which is about the same as France. Yeah, that's yeah, like France and and everywhere in Europe except the UK basically has that. And that the Netherlands, yes, yes, and the Netherlands. It's like uh, where? So. Dude, let's not get into Poland. Anyway, um, no, dude, this 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 is in, annoyed me so much that uh, Emmanuel Macron. Did you see he tweeted about Roe v. Wade and he was like, "No, ah, oh, this is this is we stand in solidarity with all the women who've lost their abortion rights or something like that." Oh my and, god! Dude, they just ruled. That a country, that a state that was doing the same thing as your country is doing anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, so then I'm not going to use the segue I was going to use. Let me just say my thing about the abortion thing that's, that I find. The, I, I've, got, I've got a lot of views, but just the, the Dodds versus Jackson judgment. Let's try and remember the, the new judgment's name because it is the right. new precedent. Right. Uh. Uh, which, as Nick says, uh, validated Mississippi's 15-week law, uh, was responded to by the New York Times editorial. The New York Times editorial said, this is an insult to all women and to the judiciary. I thought it's interesting that they start out with this esteem language, that this is an insult to all women. I thought it was interesting that they said every woman in the United States that's currently menstruating, has had their rights removed. Um, uh, linking to another piece in the New York Times, which said at most 30, like half of the women in the United States are at risk in the future or at any some time of having their rights removed. The others are fine. Anyway, so they, they weren't taking themselves too seriously. Let's not take them too seriously, I guess. It's probably the lesson to draw from that. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, but there was one thing that really out did outrage me which was that they said that women will likely die as a result um, because life-saving measures are now going to be, like, you can't have an abortion even if it's to save your life. Then there was a hyperlink. I clicked on the hyperlink and it went to an NPR story. And I really have great respect for NPR. One of the most important people in my life was uh, one of the main hosts of the biggest show in NPR for decades, couldn't have more respect. Uh, I listened to NPR when I was in America. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes I found it, some of the programming a little bit left. Obnoxiously <laughs> Uh Sometimes I felt like someone, like I was like, it's amazing because I can't see where you are, but I can tell that you're above me. <laughs> but that was that was the minority of the time. Most of the time I, 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 I was fascinated. Um, and I thought it was, it always was serious. Uh, and, you know, I probably have some bents. And anyway, so we, we all certainly have some, 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 some bents and so on. So, so, so the thing is, if you're at least seriously trying, that's good. But this piece was really disturbing because it was a story of someone called Anna. They said they can't use her real name for fear of frivolous lawsuits, who claimed that on, in week 19 of her pregnancy, she was getting married. And that afternoon, her water broke and she went to a doctor in Texas was a couple of months ago, and the doctor said, there's a high chance you will die of septicemia or blood loss if you don't have an abortion right now. But we can't give you an abortion because it's against Texas law. So she got in a, like, you know, had to uh, do lots of planning and thinking, and can we drive, can we do this, can we do that? Eventually they decided to book her two sort of front row seats to Colorado 
uh, where she could go have an abortion. No doctor is mentioned. No doctor's name is mentioned. No reason is given for why no doctor's name is mentioned. If those doctors, if this really happened the way it's described, the doctor said, you are probably going to die unless we give you an abortion, but we refuse to give you an abortion because the law says we can't. They should immediately have their licenses revoked because they are at the very least incompetent to a lethal degree. Morally, I would like to resurrect Nicholas's idea of establishing a cannon to fire people into the sun. Uh, seem like someone who did this specifically for I mean this is what that is if you try and kill a woman that's just outrageous it's just outrageous I mean they'd have to be so stupid and so anyway the alternative is that they didn't say this and that this is not what happened and she's completely misdescribing the, the events they said you know you can go for, there's a little bit of a chance of death, so I guess you'd go for the abortion. You know, I don't know. There, no. I'm just saying, if it's as true, as, they as, should go to jail, and if it's not <clears throat> true, she should be ridiculed for lying. Uh, as, as far as I understand, uh, I don't think there's a single state which, at least officially, um, you know, maybe there's social pressures that would result in this being the case. But as far as I understand, there's not a single state where there is no uh, life of the mother exception in the law. Correct. In fact, but you're getting ahead of me, Nicholas. <laughs> so, so this this is just like a sub theme. Like, is abortion? Are women going to be killed? Are doctors going to say, "Dude, you, I'm going to you might as well slit your wrists and die, because I'm not going to save your life by aborting this fetus." Oh. This became a little sub theme of like scandalous comments. I mean, coming from the New York Times editorial board backed by this weird NPR story with no indication of sources reference, no way to check up on the doctors. Dude, no those of us who like guns are well familiar with the New York Times editorial board on certain issues, just completely forgetting that they have to, you know, any journalistic ethics do their homework. Like a, yeah. Advertising. Ugh. Like anyway. like like the New York Times gets gets probably a little bit too much uh, criticism sometimes for, for some things. Um, but when it comes to yeah. certain particular culture war topics, okay. they just lose yeah. the plot. <laughs> they yeah, lose dude. their minds. So anyway, I followed this little sub-theme. Um, and thank goodness National Review then, uh, because it kept coming back up. And you can tell because National Review yesterday did a, um, wow, I can't believe people think abortion, you, it's illegal to have an abortion to save your own life. Which show that in every single state there are this exemption is recognized. Dude, even in Poland, where it is illegal yeah, to which, have an abortion. In Poland, where if, the ruling party made half of the country, uh, what is it, an LGBT uh, uh, free, free zone. zone or something. Yeah, <laughs> like like these are not these are not you know <laughs> leftist pinkos who want everyone right. to have an abortion. These are like militant nationalist Catholics. Dude, even and if they you know, still put in this exception. In Poland, even if you know the baby will be born uh, and die within six months because its spine is outside its body, for example, and it'll just suffer in pain, you can't have an abortion. You can't abort because of baby mutilation. 
But you can abort if the mother's life is in danger because obviously the right to life, the right to self-defense, the right to, uh, you know, uh, uh, protection against grievous bodily harm. It's not just death. It's just like yeah. major health risks. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is only the most extreme, apply to extreme, women. extreme fringe of the, of the pro-abortion people don't believe in the right to life exemption for, well, sorry, the right, health of life of the mother exemption. Yeah, I mean, those people really don't think that women are people. Uh, but for everyone who recognizes that a woman is a person, <laughs> the universal personal right that you have in protecting... Anyway, so on the law, it's just completely crazy. To then I read this piece in the Daily Mail, which is so beautifully written about this 80-year-old British woman who had never told anyone about how she had an abortion before it was even legal to use the word abortion in the United Kingdom. Uh, and it's because she had just had a, her first baby with her husband and then shortly thereafter got pregnant again. Um, she's such such a sweet, like, old British lady that she sort of describes this as like a titillating scandal almost. <laughs> <laughs> but, also, like, riddled with, like, ignorance about how to really not get pregnant. And, yeah, like, I was told by the wet... No, by, no I was told by... Auntie Maeve, that as long as you're breastfeeding, you can't get pregnant. Many of my <laughs> fellow schoolgirl friends, no, many of the ladies of the bridge club also agreed, but I was living proof that this was not the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, dude, it really is a beautiful, it's a beautiful account about something I think that's very important in the abortion cases, is the people who are, who argue for the right to abort and argue it in terms of women's rights. Um, yeah, I mean, I do kind of think that there have been societies and continue to be societies in which having a child out of wedlock can be worse than death. Um, and I was born out of wedlock, uh, so I know that it can work out really well. Oh, even in a society... Hmm? I was also born out of wedlock. No ways. Yeah, my parents didn't two, get married till I was nine. Two, two, <laughs> just, two bastards. Just a couple of a, bastards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it can work out okay. Um, but it's a, but 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 I really do think that there are there are places where women are so treated. Firstly, you have to treat women as second class citizens, and then you have to have very strong uh, sexual norms. And then it's just, and then it's just a terrible nightmare. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to. Uh, I do think that, you know, there's this idea of pushing back against that where it's like about privacy. In other words, here's the test case. I think for some people at some points in history, it would have been as terrible to be discovered to have conducted a secret abortion as it would just to have been discovered to have had, to have been def deflowered, as it were. Like, either of those could be sins punishable by death um, in certain communities, and that's very terrible. And in that kind of community, you know, if you're going to be punished by death for, uh, for example, for having a child out of wedlock, then you might as well try and secretly abort it and save your own life. Because, I mean, you're both going to die or one of you is going to die, you know, on a, on a basic sort of principle, try and save the one. And then if you think that there are some states of of shame and ostracization 
castigation, slavery, and so on that are so bad that they're kind of worse than death. And you might think that there might be, even if you take the view that there's there's a person in the vicinity of the, of the womb, you might take the view uh, that that the abortion is tolerable and I, is justifiable. Um, and I think that there is something like that idea in the vicinity of particularly older generation people that are that are staunch like pro-abortion rights people. You know, they sort of lived through this transition from women as the kinds of, you know, this lady in the Daily Mail, she couldn't open a bank account. Uh, when she couldn't, you know, she went to the doctors. The doctor said, Did you, we've, got to, we've got to scrape your womb uh, because this, the, the, there's a problem with it and it's going to kill you if we don't. Uh, but could you call in your husband to sign the paperwork? Because we're not allowed to do any <laughs> procedure without his permission. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that's absurd. And people are alive today that live through that kind of transition, and so they've got views. Okay, the point is, it's all going so well. It's such a beautiful story about like sixty years ago. I had an abortion. I've never told anyone, but this Roe v. Wade thing happened. My granddaughters live in New York. I spoke to them about it, and it made me think. You know, I should just let the world know. I write a weekly column in any event that I, insofar as you think that I'm an okay person. If you want to think all people who've had abortions are evil, don't think that. I had an abortion. I think my circumstances justified it. I hope you'll agree, et cetera, et cetera. It's all working out to make kind of sense. Here's the problem. She then says, but in America now, you can't even have an abortion in a circumstance like mine where you're probably going to die if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> there's There's been so much of this. Um, I, I, I actually completely went off on social media for a little bit precisely because so much of the conversation was exactly along these lines of people not sort of engaging with the facts of the matter. It's like, uh, you know, I understand if you think that this is outrageous because you think there's a human right to having an abortion. I mean, I don't agree with you, but I understand like where you're coming from, but you don't then also have to make up fibs or skew the details or things like that. That's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not how it's done, dude. That poisons the whole debate because there's, there are going to be people in the u.s who think now that women are basically on the verge of being enslaved like uh what's that silly book that, that that's become like an icon the handmaid's tale yeah yeah uh, uh there are some people in america some significant enough proportion that they are visible in public life who believe that the handmaid's tale is an imminent possibility for women in the u.s which Dude, it is not i mean think about this there, I reckon there's there's a decent chance that some person in Texas or Mississippi or Alabama or one of these states where I mean there's states that have that are trying to snap in laws that are a lot more restrictive than Mississippi that there's going to be Damn someone it. who there are also people who in the uh, you know who like I said there is that total fringe that do sometimes propose laws and stuff like that, although I doubt any of them will get passed. Uh, well, there I are mean, some throwing the, those ideas around. It, so let me be clear. There are these snap-in laws, right? So some states passed laws years ago. Yeah, like One of them like 100, yeah, 50 years. Yeah. That, said, well, that was like, Michigan, I think. If, if, if Roe v. Wade is ever overturned, then abortion is banned from conception. With the exception of if the mother's life is in danger. <laughs> right. uh, so even in that case, even a hundred years ago, they were like, hmm, yes. 
of course, dude, in the whole history of the United States, there's never been a single moment in time when a woman couldn't get an abortion if she thought her life was in danger, according to the law. And many did. There were always abortions taking place, even in places where they were banned after inception for women who thought their lives, or for women whose lives are in danger. Here's my, the, in a way, the most poignant concern is that there's going to be a woman in one of those states who, whose water breaks at 15 weeks or something when it is when you are now dealing with like a, a fetus that's probably going to kill you, you know, there's going to be an infection. The whole point of the amniotic sac and the fluid in it is to um, protect the, you know, protect your guts and organs, vital organs and so on from like from infection as a result of interaction with something that ultimately can have a different blood type and uh, all kinds of, uh, uh, dude, someone's gonna, someone's gonna, maybe I don't know. I hope not, but I think there's a real chance that someone ends up believing the New York Times and not going to get proper medical care because they think they won't be allowed proper medical care by the law because that medical care will mean getting an abortion, and they'll go and do some backroom thing and they'll get killed. Mm. You know, there's this like chasing into backroom abortions thing. Yeah. Dude, there's like chasing, you know, one way to chase people into crazy backroom abortions is to say that you can't get one to save your own life <laughs> when you can, unambiguously, yes. everywhere in that country. Anyway. And look, I'm, look I'm, the thing yeah. is, the US is a very, very big country. And like, I wouldn't put it past happening at least once, which is once is too many times. Yeah, dude. I mean, just for such a for such a needless mistake. Like, if you want to yeah, make the for pro so avoidable, argument, avoidable. Oh man, this it's just like try and be serious. It's okay. But so I want to quickly read you something that's a little bit unserious. Another way of being unserious, but that's maybe slightly more amusing. So the uh, I think we've spoken about this group before. Uh, I think Nick, you drew my attention to it. Um, the satanic, uh, the satanic temple society. Yes, yes, the, yes. They it, are sort of uh, trolls, trolls of religious people. That's what they do for for fun. So they have, and I quote, uh, centralized and ritualized and and, and centralized abortion rituals. The Satanic Temple is the leading beacon of light in the battle for abortion access. With Roe versus Wade overturned, a religious exemption will be the only available challenge to many restrictions to states. Um, and they think that because the current Supreme Court of the United States is so full of religious nuts that will defend religious rights at, at all costs if they can just prove that this is... Let me quote again. We've ritualized and centralized the abortion process so that beforehand... Somebody needing an abortion can come to us for preliminary counseling in which there are these affirmations that attest that they made their choice within their understanding of the best available options and that this is the right choice for them and that they did it in line with their religious tenets, which are our own. Which feels very trolly, says Lucian Greaves. Um, that feels very trolly. Like your religious tenets are our own. Feels like sort of the backwards way of that that does feel like the kind of thing that you'd say if you weren't all that serious. 
uh, about your religious tenets and you were kind of using this as a mask. But my favorite line is when they have a whole um, uh, sort of layout on their website of the satanic abortion ritual. And uh, it explains how it works and you've got to do the prayers. And But the, this is the best sentence in the article. Uh, uh, the temple has written a letter to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration seeking permission to provide its members with abortion pharmaceuticals as part of the, its satanic abortion ritual. I, I, I find it amazing that you have to apply to the Food and Drug Administration to have a satanic abortion ritual. Is, is, is this a segue not... in, into your second into your second thing that you wanted to talk about in the SCOTUS rulings? Yes. It is. <laughs> Indeed it is, because uh, American agencies have quite a lot of regulatory power that never has to go through a legislature. Yeah. And uh, Food and Drug Administration, you get on the bad side of that and it can destroy your industry, your career, whatever, whatever it is that you're uh, uh, involved in. So the second part of... Because of course the, the Supreme Court, for some reason, it, it it does like it releases all of its rulings. It's like a big batch, it's a kind of bumper package um, that it does every year. So yeah, even which the kind of Wade increasingly one, feels frustrating because it's like it's hard. It, may, it does make it hard for the media to digest. Anyway, yeah, especially because the media so sort of usually picks up on one and then runs with it. Although this one that you're about to talk about. Uh, did get some reaction, particularly from the sort of more lefty side of things. I think uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said that this is a uh, that this ruling was a quote judicial coup. Okay, so you are, I think, talking about the matter which basically addresses the Chevron principle, which is not the one I wanted to go to. But let's do this one oh, first. Tell us okay. about the case. Uh, so I don't know that much about the case. I just know that at stake was the power of the Environmental Protection Agency to uh, regulate, to, to, to craft climate change regulation without going through a legislature. Um, and essentially the court found that uh, this power rests with legislatures, particularly in the states, but also at the federal level. And you can't just use the court to, you can't just through an unelected agency that doesn't have a direct sort of voter connection. Um, pass what are effectively laws that control commerce and, uh, and, 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 and regulations re regarding the climate. Yeah, so this is, dude, this is, I, I haven't read this judgment yet, um, which is, but, um, and I haven't, okay. Here's, the Chevron principle has been around, I think, for 30, 40 years. In years, just jurisprudence under that name and for longer before that and there is a good reason for it so let me try and give you the, the the what has until now been the winning argument it goes like this it is very complicated for a judge to try and figure out something that depends on the science judges have to do this now and then uh and and usually the first thing that you have to understand is that the the where do judges sit? They don't sit on a throne. They, they, the bench. The bench. Huh? Yeah. Yes. 
the bench is the wrong place to come up with original theories. My favorite example is this. Imagine in 1902 that Judge, uh, as it happens, his name was Nicholas Lorimer, <laughs> sitting on the bench in, in London or, or, or Washington or something like that, says, you know, in this matter, I, I think that uh, we have some conflicting forensic evidence, and the only way to understand this is by reference to a theory I've been cooking up. <laughs> but but I but but I'm sure that this theory is correct. And according to this theory, at the basic sub uh, atomic particle level of things, it is neither the case that anything is or is not at least for most of the time. It might be the case that it's neither or is, but it might also be the case that it is and is not at the same time. We can't disqualify that possibility. And I'd like to sort of make this alive, this idea come alive to you by suggesting that if there was a box and inside of that box there was a cat, at certain times it would neither be true to say that the cat is dead or alive. The cat might be dead or alive. It might be both dead and alive, or it might neither be dead nor alive. Of course, once you've opened the box and looked inside, it's only going to be dead or alive. I'm not disputing that, but I'm just saying before you've looked at the box, it could be both or neither uh, or some combination of the two. The fundamentals of quantum physics. Now, if, if, Nicholas, if Judge Nicholas Lorimer had said that, he should not only – he would be, by the way, factually correct, you know, according to our best contemporary understanding and best understanding for most of the last century, but he would be – deserving not just of ridicule he should have his robes stripped from him and he should be metaphorically paraded around the town and tarred and feathered it's not just it would not just be wrong in a sense it would be offensive to the judiciary process to to criminal justice to all kinds of justice in other words the bench or the courts are the wrong place to come up with new ideas even if they're the right ideas when it comes to scientific expertise. So that's the first sense in which the academy, the lab, the, the really the lecture hall, is ahead of the, is privileged, is advantaged, is more, is, has some kind of advantage over the court. That's the beginning of the Chevron deference principle. The, the court must defer to the experts, at least insofar as the court doesn't come up with a theory until the experts have come up with the theory. But then it's like, well, what if there are conflicting theories and how do you deal with it? And without getting into too much detail, um, you already know that this is a nightmare because every TV case that you've ever heard of has involved experts from the one side and experts from the other side who disagree with each other. Okay? Right. Because the amazing thing about science is that it's completely based on disagreement excepting according to certain sort of philosophers of science that emerged out of the woodwork during COVID-19, which said that science is, is a matter of uniform no, it's a, consensus. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a monolith. Uh, they didn't emerge just during COVID-19, but let's not, right. <laughs> let's right. not relitigate those other points. They're never far away. Um, yeah. but, but you know what I mean? If, if, if you wanted to – so I'm trying to say there's a sort of extreme you – can, you can say the minimum amount of deference – that a judge must grant to the experts of science is that a judge may not propose or base a judgment on any theory that has not already been tabled by one of the experts. But the maximum deference would be to say, like, you just do whatever the experts say, and in the event that the experts disagree, 
you step back and you say, I can't decide between the two because they're both way above my my level. So He's I'm just basically talking fine. science men on another level. So if you in 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 that that would be too much. That's an example of clearly too much. The the example where the judge is coming up with his own theory is clearly too little. The example where he says or she says, dude, I can't tell. There's experts on one side and experts on other sides. I just can't tell. If that's always the rule, that's too much because that just means find a find someone with a PhD in science to disagree with someone else with a PhD in science, and and you've sort of won the case as the defense. It's 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 an unworkable thing. You have to allow judges on a case by case basis adjudicate that is their job judge between two versions that have been presented and figured out okay so now here's the next step of the chevron deference argument it says judges are going to do that they have to do that it's not an ideal situation it'd be better if we had people who were particularly dedicated to that issue and that topic to figure it out and judges are sort of racing between this and that every day multiple cases they're never going to be able to do as well as someone would on a particular scientific dispute um, but we, ha we have to settle with this in criminal law, for example, because as a general principle, criminal law cases have to be dealt on a case-by-case -case basis by, uh, as adjudicated over by expert judges. And then the juries do their own thing in a jury system or whatever. So, so could we do better? We could do better from a government's perspective, not with the legislature, because the legislature, much like the judges, are going all of the time, dealing with this, dealing with that, so we can establish a body, an unelected body like judges, but where their whole job is to be right. expert on a particular domain. Yeah. And, and they, they can pass rules are, that... And they are always going to be better at judging. They can see in the academy, 95% of people agree um, that if you make the minimum wage equal to the median wage, you will hugely Before... increase unemployment. 5% you know, are mad Marxists, and they're running South Africa, but never mind that. We, as, <laughs> yeah. we have the ability to do what judges can't do, which is to spend all of our time not just reading the facts of the case, but also reading the whole industry. What is it across the board? What is the average? Is there a preponderance like 95%? Is it a sort of 50-50 split? And where it's a preponderance, we can take um, that to be correct, even though it's still disputed, until the balance of forces shifts the other way. And so generally speaking, we're always going to have room forever for error, but those experts will be right more often than the judges. And so if the judge confronts one of those experts, he must always agree or she must always agree and just defer to what they say. That was the Chevron deference principle. And on that pr principle, no judge could overturn um, what, what, what someone at the EPA said. But the flip side of it was from, they were like, there are two arguments, and I'm not sure which argument won. But I'm guessing it's the, it's the elephants through keyholes argument, which says even if theoretically it were true, in law, it's irrelevant. And the reason is that the legislature is not allowed, the lawmakers are not allowed to defer all of the authority all of the thinking power to any other body. In other words, on this argument, legally speaking, forever in a day, the courts have been obliged to pay deference to 
the legislature. Yes. If the, the legislature says raise taxes by 5%, the courts can't say, well, you know, we well, don't look, think that's going to be very yeah, that's, efficient. That's going to hurt the economic growth says, by this, make this amount. Make the speed limit 110 miles an hour. So, yes, Milton I, Friedman, I, you know, no, no economist can sit as a judge and say, yes. I, uh, right? So, but the idea is, so, so, so the court must defer to parliament or to the legislature, to the House of Congress and the Senate in America's case, but it is not, but this, but, but parliament cannot take that power that it has to be able to say, look, we don't care what the court thinks about this. Uh, this is what the people have decided. It can't take that. And, and hand that power over. That power is like esteem, you know. You can sort of try and share a bit of the glow. Someone, you know, you win the Oscar and you can say, oh, well, you know, thank you to mommy. She breastfed <laughs> me and thank you to daddy. He, you know, he spanked me when I was naughty. Um, it's like, no, this is, you, you, you can say thank you and you can sort of say that this authority should be respected by the people and so on. Um, but you can't say that those guys won the Oscar or the Nobel Prize or something like that. You can't transfer the Nobel Prize. You can't transfer the, the authority to which the courts must pay deference vis-a-vis -vis expertise on right. certain The, the, uh, the role of the court is to ensure that the law is followed, not to uh, protect people from bad outcomes, even if the law is absolutely exactly. terrible. <laughs> and so then the the keyhole the elephants and keyhole metaphor is the idea that sometimes it might seem as if the law has hidden an elephant in a keyhole and if you exercise your imagination a little bit you could imagine looking by pressing your eye right up against the keyhole through your front door of your sort of lodge in the Kruger Park, out into the wilderness, into the felt, and seeing an elephant. And the elephant would be inside of a keyhole. And that would be magnificent, to be sure, and, and brought to you for sort of finding your way into such a marvelous, magnificent, magnifying position. But it's really not a good way to go. It's not, it's not exactly a, a, a robust way to look at the world. <laughs> yeah, you could see how you could make some mistakes if that was your general viewpoint. And, and so a law could say something like, you know, you should do this or you should do that. But just in case anybody's in any doubt about what you should really do, ask Jim and whatever he says, um, that'll be great. That would be a deliberate instance of trying to hide an elephant in a keyhole, of trying to grant a huge to smuggle in a huge power of discretion to a particular individual or unit by putting the small little chink or gap in half a sentence um, in the long-winded law, and and that's not usually how the phrase "elephants and keyholes" is is used. Usually, it's used to describe instances where there is a relatively vague proviso, like the law says. Uh, the police shall pull over um, people where they are prima facie committing crimes 
and uh, have the right to search and detain them. So long as uh, this is uh, able to be performed in a relatively safe way and where it isn't, they'll have to sort of call the commander and, and get like a little permission or something like that. And you could, and then someone could interpret in a relatively safe way to mean, they say, well, you know, once upon a time, a policeman put on his siren and it so surprised the driver that they spun the wheel and then crashed the car. So therefore, this law that said policemen try to pull over people in a relatively safe way is actually a ban on sirens. And it's like, no, dude, if it was, if it was going to be a ban on sirens, they were going to say it's a ban on sirens. You are trying to hide yeah. an elephant, a huge change, a big, heavy, fat thing inside of a small it just just. Gap. Just, just because, just because the 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 law says, uh, just because the law can be interpreted, doesn't mean that you can just sort of tuck your thumb and say, "Well, look, you know, what is the meaning of the word uh, uh, ban? Does it really mean ban, or does it really mean that we should just put the word ban on everything?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, oh, oh I, I, we should ban things. You, what you're saying is photocopy the the like get a piece of page. Print out the word "ban," photocopy it, stick it on everyone's forehead. That's being yeah. naughty. Exactly, exactly. So this is this is uh, this is actually, I think, the origin of the judicial philosophy of originalism, which is what the court in the U.S. is now principally composed of: is originalists. They say, "Look, you, you know, we may want X, Y, or Z to happen, but the law does not actually say that." Um, and this was one of the things that 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 was uh, just not to go back too much to the Roe v. Wade thing, but there are some of the pro-life crowd who believe that there is a constitutional right to life in the sense that there should be a constitutional right not to be aborted. Uh, this is basically the sort of flip side of, of, of Roe because it's like imagining it's saying, it's looking at the text and saying, uh, you see, I think that this is what's implied by what the founding fathers put in the document and therefore it should be the law. But the originalist judges looked at the law and they said, look, you know, there isn't, it doesn't say in the text anywhere that you can't be aborted. So therefore, some states, if they want to allow that, have to allow that. Yeah, I mean, I think, dude, Brett Kavanaugh, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh's uh, concurring judgment basically said, dude, if New York wants to allow people to abort babies until nine months, I'm not going to stop them. Uh, I, he clearly disagrees. Dude, he's a Catholic who thinks who believes life begins at inception, but he's not going to stop even that, which most people would agree is pretty absurd. As a court justice, because he thinks he's bound by the by the sort of plain English reading of the Constitution, as it was understood, you know, more or less as the dictionaries defined the terms at the time, and as as practice showed those definitions to be understood. Um, so that guy's not going to be beloved. Dude, that case is going to come. Someone's going to complain about some mother in New York. So in New York state, my understanding is you can have an abortion up till nine months, up till delivery. Um, yep. As long as there is serious concern that the mother will suffer, suffer mental harm afterwards. So if she says, you know, like I lost my job, I'm really worried about life. I'm feeling pretty grim. I've heard about postnatal depression. I wouldn't like that. Uh, it seems likely that I'll have it. 
that's like then a reason to abort. So, you know, it's like a prolonged bad mood. And I don't want to make light of, of a postnatal depression or any depression. But, you know, it's like prospectively, it really does become a very hairy business to go about trying to judge these things. And that court, that that thing could have arrived before Kavanaugh. And then he writes the, the, <laughs> the majority opinion that says, this is fine. You guys go ahead. Dude, and that guy will just be like one of the Americans that has been hated by everyone at some point with the most furious intensity of like anyone who's ever been. And um, he's saying in the choir at school, so I guess he deserves <laughs> no, making fun as a choir boy myself. <laughs> uh, but okay. So the, the point I, I just want to make one point of clarification, Nick, which is that I, as you know, I've got a little bit of beef with the originalists, um, but the, there is a one Here's a problem when you just interpret the law willy-nilly. When you like words, words are not limits on meanings. They are, they are them. They are, you know, they, I can m make any word mean anything uh, if 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 I'm given the power and the time, and I will. Uh, and and Roe v. Wade did do a bit of that. You know, my favorite thing about the Roe v. Wade judgment is that it said we feel that the right to an abortion might lie in the 14th Amendment, but others feel like it might be somewhere else, and it doesn't matter where exactly it is. The point is it's in there, generally speaking. So that's the wrong... That's literally... That's not a good way to go about writing. I, wasn't, I can't remember whether it was Roe v. Wade or the, or the successor, but it, it had the line, Casey, the penumbras and animations of the Constitution imply that, which is <laughs> not, not exactly what I would base something on. It's not a good penumbras line. Penumbras and it's animations. Like, it's again, it's like you're, you don't seem to be taking yourself seriously when you're in that position. But other people have to take you seriously because you said the wrong. Okay, so the the elephants and keels thing is a little bit different. It's a subcategory. So it's the same in the sense that there's overlap. But it's a little bit different in the sense that um, the, 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 the complaint is not that no one would ever take this to mean that. It's just that no one who was deliberately trying to um, pass this law to make this major change uh, could have unambiguously gone, would have unambiguously, would have gone about so in an unambiguous way by saying things like this. And so in a way, it is also a principle that, that applies a kind of reverse pressure on lawmakers to say, if you want to make a big change, don't try and befuddle the people or the courts, you must say very clearly what it is that you want to change. And if it's a very big change, you must say so very clearly. And if it's a little technical thing, say so very clearly. The legislature must do its freaking job. And this is a recurring bugbear of mine in the US. Legislatures are lazy and they're filled with people who want to get media careers by grandstanding, not people who want to pass laws, not people who actually want to make some kind of substantive difference. They're people who propose laws that they know are not going to go anywhere just so that they can get on TV for proposing the law. Or they're people that only want to vote for the We Love Puppies and Kittens Act and nothing that might be vaguely controversial. So they try and shunt it over to the 
uh, the administrative agencies, the EPA, the FDA, whatever you want to talk about, uh, and the have courts. them make the unpopular decision. Or the courts, even better, the courts are the best. And I have a point to make on this towards the end once we get there. Uh, but really, like, guys, the legislators need to do their work. They are very powerful. They can do whatever they want. They can get rid of the president. They can get rid of the the judges. They can. They are by far the superior branch. And so they actually need to take responsibility and do things. <laughs> if they did things, right, in America wouldn't. Right, right. Clearly, pass lots of laws and debate issues in the public forum so that people can see and that your voters can hold you accountable and say, "Hey, you voted for this, which is absolutely terrible." And I, you know, instead of what currently happens, which is every politician in America from Trump to Biden to Romney to everyone stands up and says, oh, I'm going to go to Washington and tell them what the people want and then hands over all power to the regulatory agencies and says, oh, guys, you know, these Washington bureaucrats you just need to elect me again or else they're going to keep screwing up your lives. It is so <laughs> enraging. <laughs> and that is why I am extremely in favor of empowering the legislature in this case and telling them, look, guys, you actually have to do your job. You can't just hire someone to do it for you, which is essentially what a lot of these regulatory agencies do. Dude. And here's the best part. If you're worried yeah. about not understanding the science, you can talk to the experts. You're not allowed. You are actually allowed to speak to them and say, hey, guys, you know, I'm not sure what the law should be in this case. What does the science say? And the experts can say, well, we think it's this and this and this. Exactly. And then you can the EPA is supposed to be part of the drafting <laughs> process of the law. Not right. Like, <laughs> it is like a weird thing with like business consultancies. Like here's one way a business consultancy works. You're running your business. You've got a bit of a problem. Like you're going into a new field. You don't really know how it works. You hire this outside team. They tell you, okay, you guys have been in print media all along. You're getting into the internet. We've been looking at internet companies. Here are a couple of things you need to know. You take the advice. You pay them the money. You go ahead and you go do your business. Here's another way. You're like, uh, so my management style has been, I've, I've just said to people, do your job. Like I don't give them any more instructions. Like I'm like, hey, do better. <laughs> and it's not working. So like I'm going to hire a consulting firm to just run the whole business. And then if things don't work, like somehow I'll blame the consulting firm. But then if you investors give me more money, I'm just going to pay for the consulting firm to double its work hours. Yeah, well, then what's the point? This is the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? can you leave us alone? You're being too – yeah. So they, so they need to write the law specifically – to say exactly what needs to be done, and they need to take consultation from experts in order to be able to draft it properly, rather than say, you know, in this part of the law, the experts will just figure it all out and they'll and they'll make it up as they go. So anyway, that's Chevron deference. I'm not sure how well the court has managed it. I do think that there are real difficulties in judges adjudicating scientific questions. I think that there are real difficulties in expedience. Sometimes you need the executive branch of any government to make very, very quick decisions um, that no legislature can can digest as quickly. Um, and so in some sense, the argument for some kind of deference is never going to go away. There's a real tension. It's a, it's a, it, this is democracy. It means it's never fully comfortable. But maybe, maybe it is good judgment. The judgments that interest me... Um, 
are about religious freedom, or at least they've been sold as being about religious freedom. So one was in Maine, and I and I listened to, to the deliberations. I didn't listen to all of the. I haven't read all of the judgments fully, um, but I know a bit about their substance, especially through the deliberations. So one is about Maine, and in the Maine case, um, for the longest time, like a hundred years, they've had school vouchers, and that's what drew the reason I listened to the case in the first place. Is because at the Institute of Race Relations, I would love nothing more than to let the, what is it, like 5 million school-going students in this country, let their parents decide what schools they want to go to. Give them basically scholarships, you know, one and a half, two thousand rand a month scholarships um, so they can, like, be liberated from the from the awful sort of mental abuse chambers that are too often what really constitute our public schools. I really believe in that. And I wanted to see, okay, what, what's the Scottish all about here? Maine's been doing that forever, particularly for rural people that are, like, not in the vicinity of a school. Uh, it's just not enough for the, for the government to run a school, so, the, so they get vouchers and they can go to boarding school somewhere. But the way the system works, they can go to boarding school anywhere. And if you're super rich, uh, you can send your kids to, like, a half a million rand boarding school a year in California – and you will get a small subsidy. You know, everyone gets the same subsidy. You will get that subsidy to, to send your kid to that school. Here's the challenge. Some people are sending their kids to religious schools. Kind of challenge is some religious schools are saying you can't come here because you're getting state funding. A little bit of a tete-a-tete. -tete. Here's the substance of the challenge. The establishment clause in the United States really separates church and state to say that the state shall establish no religion as found in the First Amendment that guarantees freedom of religion, free speech. And it says it's not just that the government's got to protect you from having your head bunked in by someone who believes in a different version of the Bible or in the Torah instead of the Bible or in the, so on and so forth. The state doesn't just protect you. The state also is itself limited. Remember, the American founding founders were very good at recognizing that, yes, citizens are threats or people are threats to other people, but a huge danger is the government. The state is limited from trying to preference one religion. Um, and for that reason, it is you can't pray in an American school classroom. And... Uh, and this seems... This voucher system seems to subvert that and this has long been a complaint about the, the voucher system and let me just be clear some of the first vouchers part of the reason not in South Africa but part of the reason in America that vouchers have struggled although they continue to win to you know in other words I think they'll be everywhere at some point but part of the reason that that's taking slower rather than quicker is that in the beginning um, after Eisenhower and company and uh, the courts in Brown versus Board of Education uh, stopped segregation by race of American schools. You had a, a some white parents who uh, lobbied the government to give them vouchers so that they could still basically get free public schooling at only white schools. Vouchers were used for racial segregation purposes back in the sixties. Not good. 
And so that argument has fallen away. Uh, that's not happening. But the argument continues that uh, vouchers would be bad because they would allow schools to be segregated by sect or by religion, um, sponsored by the government, and that this is ultimately going to preference Christians to the detriment of Jews and Muslims and um, other smaller religions. And, you know, within Christianity will maybe uh, help some sects dominate over others, but and that's a problem. Help Catholics hurt the sort of obscure Methodist sect or something. Something like that. So this is so okay. So so I think I'm just trying to say good faith. Like I think there are real concerns here. I think in the history of America, it is it's amazing that America has separated church and state so much. And so when someone comes up and says, "Dude, you can't let Maine give vouchers for kids to go to any old school uh, because this means the government is paying for." religious education and we have a very well established tradition of not doing that in order to protect america from european style strife uh i think okay dude i want to hear more <sighs> ultimately that case lost and the winning argument was uh the government is not choosing which school these kids go to the parents are and so we're going to uphold it. Those parents can send their kids wherever they want. The government is just giving them the voucher as long as the school is accredited, as long as it, you know, which amongst other things means it's teaching evolution properly, uh, etc. Uh, it's teaching that two plus two is four. Two plus two is not whatever um, <laughs> some religious figure says it is, <laughs> etc. Once, if it's properly accredited, you can homeschool, you can send them to this school or that school, and you will be subsidized. Second case uh, was about a coach. Oh, no. This is reference. Second case was, I think, where was it? Somewhere in Illinois. The, the town was playing on the field during sports games. Was that it? Yes. That was one of the three. So this, this poach is leading his team in prayer on the sports field. And again, the argument is, uh, the establishment clause argument is, dude, we don't pray in classrooms. We shouldn't be praying on the sports field. Okay. We're trying to separate church and state. You know, people can go pray at home. They can pray on the weekends. They can pray on Sunday. Please, let's not pray. Because even if most people in the school are happy with this, and even if people are not overtly being punished for not joining in, there's an esteem pressure that's translated. You're kind of saying, like, if you really belong here, this is what you do. And we don't, that's exactly the thing we're worried about. That's exactly the kind of thing that is created. Like, please, can we remember how, how did classical liberalism start as a kind of solution to a century of, of religious? bloody strife in Europe. I've, I've, I've previously described it as a attempt to create a peace treaty for society driven by division, which is in a lot of ways, yeah. I think, what classical liberalism is. It's basically saying, look, you know, human beings are really different from each other. We're pretty complicated, and we want to do very different things. We also are together in the same society. So let's find a way to make the rules allow us both to do our own thing without anybody getting trampled on. Minimum stabbing other people in the eyeball. Yes. How do we? How do we? Generally, a good policy. Remember, remember that thing where we were burning each other at the stake because of disagreements about the Holy Trinity. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Never mind that. No, you can go even further back and talk about uh, it'd be riots because a, a preacher would have the wrong Christology. You know, he said that. Uh, 
uh, Christ had one nature that was solely divine rather than being both divine and human. And that, that, that's just not acceptable in the public if square. That <laughs> if that guy's eyeballs are still inside his head, they need to get out of his head. Yeah, because he's going to damn us all. <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at this me. Is, I'm feeling, I'm feeling the this devil is why God that. sent the Saracens, because, <laughs> because we have preachers out there with the wrong Christology, and they're just allowed to talk in public. Outrageous. Yeah, yeah. And this is, and, and in a part, there is. I think we are demonstrating a kind of defense of the satanic movement. Like, dude, however much they're trolls, however much they're trying to push people's buttons, but you know, uh, taking what many people sincerely think, you know, hold use practically as the name of ultimate evil as their banner. Like you, you, you're, you're really not allowed to go and hurt any of them. It's very, very important that no one is allowed to hurt anyone for being a Satanist, um, because we've been there. It doesn't help. It's not good. Mustn't do it. It's very important. So again, I'm. That's obviously the other extreme. But like a coach leading people in prayer at the school, it might feel very natural. But it's like people are coming with this establishment clause argument. I'm very sympathetic. The argument lost. Um, and there, the winning argument is something like, it is well established that schools as venues, outside of school hours, can be used by various different um, religious groups. So if there's like an, you know, some lady wants to do aftercare for free at school, uh, and she wants to like sing hymns or something, that's okay. And if they wanted to read the Torah, I think uh, I think this okay. is based off of a, a, a much earlier court ruling, which was kind of one of the bedrocks of American, um, yeah. of the of the religious freedom crowd, the sort of pro-Christian crowd, who said, you know, if we want to have a Bible studies group in the class after school when no one else is around, it's just people who want to be there, then like we should be allowed to. And I think the Supreme Court said, yeah, yeah, it's fine because the state is not, you know necessarily endorsing you're just using a public building exactly and but the rule is that the state can't discriminate so if it's letting uh muslims yeah, it has to quran allow the the, uh, the quran study group and the torah study group and the satanists i don't know to Satanists have a study group doesn't seem like a thing statements would be orgy <laughs> okay maybe not orgy <laughs> well on other grounds the the, the state yeah. does have in in not providing venues for children <laughs> yes <laughs> but yes but so this is exactly right um the winning argument was that this court precedent has already been set a long time ago uh, if it's outside of school, it's non-compulsory. So if football was compulsory, it would be a different story. If you were getting grades for it, right. it would be a different story. At that, And at some schools, you do get bonus grades for it. At that school, you don't get bonus grades for it. And therefore, it's so, really so this is, ex this is genuinely extracurricular kind of thing. I, I, yeah. I have I have another sort of a slightly different take on this. And maybe it's a, it's a slightly, I don't know, maybe it's privileging religion too much. But I kind of feel like, you know, to because because in in all in all sort of major, you know, in all free countries, you're allowed to practice your religion freely, and being prevented from praying does seem 
particularly when you're not necessarily giving a speech in capacity of like as a, as a, as a public official or something, does seem like a pretty harsh restriction on someone's ability to express their religious freedom properly, especially because uh, uh, there was some disagreement over the facts on this. I think, I think, and even in the judgments, as far as I understand, there were some disagreements. Um, there was some dispute as to whether the coach was sort of calling a prayer meeting or whether he just prayed on the field and people came and joined him. Um, but if it's the if it's the, the latter, which is that it's sort of almost like a spontaneous religious experience, then I was pretty sympathetic to the idea that, you know, if, if you're a teacher, like, let's put it this way, if you're a teacher in a classroom, and tell me if I'm wrong here, and you don't pray with your students or to your students, but before you eat, let's say at your desk, you say uh, you say a prayer or something like that. That sh shouldn't be prevented, even though it's in school while you're on hours as a, as no, a teacher. Dude. What do you think of that? I think if no, if it's during break time and the and the kids are running around, and there happen to be a couple of kids who've come into your class and they, maybe it's defensible. But if even, you, even if, if the kids like, aren't okay. on. Even if, the, even if there's no, no kids around, if you're like, you, you know, you all give them worksheets to do and then you go to have a snack at your desk and in the silence you just sort of say grace. That seems... No, that's what... Yeah, defensible to that, you, There are some you, you, who, you read, who say that yes, that shouldn't very be Very clever. You're, you're, you're pushing the boundary very close. I do think that um, the prohibition against prayer in classroom during teaching time is well established and worth defending. And I, and I would probably disagree with you in that, even in that case, here's why the teacher is, it's important that the court does generally see the teacher as being an unarmed soldier. And so does Robert Braithwaite, my favorite, uh, criminologist, um, You've, you've got police man. that have – he's the esteem man. He's the original esteem man. You've got the police with guns, and you've got the police without guns. And teachers are police without guns. And they really are police without guns in a sense that um, if they find against you in some ways, you can be detained by people with guns. Um, and it's the same with social workers. You know, the, And, like, really poor people like the ghetto know what it's like. The social worker comes along – and 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 sees that you're not taking care of the baby properly and then people with guns come and take away your baby uh so the social care worker doesn't have the guns but she's in cahoots with those who do uh and therefore is part of the she's she's like the reconnaissance person or he um so the the teacher is treated like uh it's coercion because it's compulsory to be schooled um so there is force to be applied against both student and parent uh, if they don't go to school and they don't perform uh, properly. And uh, when they, once they're in school, there are codes of conduct and rules of the school that are punishable. And if you refuse the punishment, ultimately you can, again, run into, run into the real hard teeth of the state. And so the prohibition says it's not just... The case, the, the prohibition is sensitive to the fact that it's not just the case that teachers exercise their state-sponsored power by way of direct sanction or commendation. It is also the case that they do so by what I'm just going to call esteem moves. And so 
you know, it would I on some facts in the case, I would I would want to maybe sort of exempt the teacher from some kind of punitive action because the intentions are good and there was no real harm. There was just like some third party person who climbed in. It was like, well, theoretically, this is dangerous. But I could very easily imagine plenty of real cases where the teacher is doing that, is reflecting to the students that they're all good Christians. And the one Muslim sitting in the corner is a, is a whole other breed or something not good like that. That it would be a that that there's clear bullying going on, and that the teacher is tacitly endorsing it, and that this is part of the way that is sustained. And some, you know, I I take the view that some preemptive rules, some rules are designed to preempt kind of bad behaviors, mm -hmm. because although there's a gray zone and there are difficult cases, like if you just draw the line pretty clearly, then you figure out a way to get around it. So, like the teacher who wants to pray every time before they eat can just figure. out in any event, maybe it's a good idea not to eat during class time and to save it for break time. And when you're saving it for break time, then you can find your private little space where you're not, where there's no ways you could be influencing other students um, in, a, in a way that's open to criticism. So anyway, but, but I, I take your point that, it's, that it seems like, um, and this is, oh, sorry, let me say that clearly. I take your point that there is a risk that always is posed by the establishment clause of, of, of going so far in trying to avoid the government preferencing one religion over another that it ends up discriminating against religion. And in particular, and this is Chief Justice John Roberts's sort of most longstanding strange, interesting position, which I became privy to back when I was a student 10 years ago, is, is, his, is his worry that you end up preferencing religions that are more subtle mm. and punishing religions that are more evangelical or overt. Because yes. if, you're, if you're very religious, but you never move your, move your lips when you pray... <laughs> Right, uh, right. You can imagine a Christian sect where someone uh, where it instructs you to pray silently, and then you can imagine uh, you know a devout Muslim who has to bow to Mecca to, in the direction of Mecca to pray. Uh, <laughs> you could get away with one in class, but not the other, under a very strict interpretation. Yeah. And and recently, I remember a journalist uh, saying in the last week or two that he once found an editor. Uh, in fact, it was Jill Wenzel uh, who was describing to me a, a friend of hers who had started working at a publication in South Africa. And the editor said, look, here's what you have to understand about our readers. They move their lips when they read. <laughs> and it was her way of like gently saying like, you know, don't use too many big words. It's going to be okay. They're, they're good people. They're fine people. Uh, but they're not all about the like 10 syllable word. Right. This is and this is the only thing they, they read. The thing you're writing. This is what they read, and 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 so get it right. And there are, you know, there are um, there are class issues that kind of do get it bound up in religious issues, and and you want to be careful of not punishing. Okay, you you don't want to you don't want to punish the the proud too much, uh, needlessly ever needlessly. Okay, so so that's that case. Then the third case is the flag case somewhere in Illinois. Not Chicago itself, but somewhere in the vicinity. There's a town hall 
and they've always got the American flag on one flagpole. And then I think I think the Republican community interesting for sorry, I'm just yeah. on a tangent here. I think the Republican candidate, or maybe it was a state legislate, legislator, um, in Illinois recently said. Uh, Chicago should become its own state because us down here in red country don't want to, nothing to do with you crazy people in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It never ends. <laughs> but no, dude, the lumpers and the splitters, hey? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but just, so this is an interesting case because the is this flag. So there's so there's a town hall and there's two flagpoles and then they say the one is always American and then the other one the community can kind of decide and the only rule is it has to represent some people in the community. So they've had like the Turkish flag and the Greek flag and the English flag and like you know they've got people that have immigrated from those countries to this part of the world. They've had like Black Lives Matter, gay pride flag or LGBTQ+, plus, or queer flag, whatever you want to call it. Um, like queer they've flag had like Juneteenth. Name. Much easier to say. Yeah. Dude, they've had flags Don't on flags know. on flags. Dude, they've had flags off flags. So one day, I think they have a flag that was kind of like a pre-American flag. It's got a bit of a cross on it. And something to do with the Founding Fathers... It was like it was sort of like the American flag that flew during the period when the, the Federalist Papers, when the Constitution was being drafted. And obviously, at that time, there was such a thing as the United States, and there'd been several presidents of the United States before George Washington, who was the first president mm -hmm. after the war, which allowed it to become a fully independent country. But, it, you know, so I think, I'm not sure if it is the American flag or like one of the states flag. I don't think it is a state flag. It is either the American flag or it is like just a flag that happened to fly over the building where the dudes were often hanging out. Right. Uh, debating. Uh, one of those sort of popular, like a bit like the Gla Gadstone flag, like the, the rattlesnake with the don't step on me. So something of that kind of vintage. Where yes. It's, 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 yeah, it's popular, but it's not necessarily official. Exactly right, Nick. Oh, dude, I love that. I love that thing with the snakes, where each part is like a. What, united we, separated. Oh no, we that's a that's a we... that's a slightly different one, but it's the same theme. I'm talking about the one with the, it's a yellow flag with the rattlesnake all coiled up and says "Don't tread on me." It's been adopted by the sort of okay, uh, more libertarian-y American right, but uh, it's originally it was from the Revolutionary War. It was saying, you know, uh, American uh, the American cause is we're we're like a rattlesnake. We only strike when provoked. And we've been provoked by the people mm. who want us to pay taxes for tea and all kinds of things. So, okay, so it is like one of those flags. And the flag I'm thinking about is where there's a snake chopped into as many bits as yes, there were yes. states in America. It's it's from the same era. It's exactly the same thing. And it says it's like unionize or die or something. Yeah, Almost united will, will be destroyed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> disunited. Anyway, so this but this is like clearly a cross. And so one of the arguments, so and so the argument is you can't have the the town hall flying a flag of a cross because it's too Christian. It's, it's right. violating the establishment clause. And again, and if you've hung on it, you've you've hung on in America. I've hung on in America, dude. Its architecture is super ancient Roman and Greek. 
it is not. Yes. Uh, it's not post Constantinople. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not post Constantine Roman. Yeah. It's very pre Constantine Roman, in a very noticeable way. There are no crosses anywhere at all, inside or outside any federal buildings, or state buildings, or town halls. Right. It's like porticos and uh, pillars and uh, plinths and uh, triangular, you know, dinguses with with blind statues of liberty weighing up scales and all that kind of thing. Okay, so yeah, yeah. so it's like, oh, here we got a flag, and there and there and, and there was this important case where uh, the court, uh, the majority opinion said, you know, if you painted a cross on top of a federal building. And it was only visible from sort of an airplane of outer space. That too would be damnably illegal. Like you can't do that. So they said this is like that, um, and they were and they were overruled. the The winning argument was that the community. The winning argument is basically that this is like a park, right? That if someone from the outside just sees it, uh, right. they might connect the dots and say, "Look, the government is paying for the flagpole." And the flagpole is flying a flag. Therefore, the government approves of Christianity. But anyone who understands this at all is going to understand that that flagpole is always, its flag is always decided by the community to express some particular interest, not by the government. This is literally the procedure. And this is the practice. They have flown flags that are clearly going against the government, like BLM during the riots, like the Turkish flag, when they fly the Turkish flag, it's not the American government saying, we approve of Turkey. Right. And uh, also the Turkish flag they have, has they a... the Iranian flag. <laughs> the, the Turkish flag has a... Has a um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Islamic crescent in the middle. And if you if they did fly the English flag, <laughs> that's got a cross in it too. <laughs> and the Greek the cross one, Saint George. A, yeah, and the yes. Greek one too. So, so no, but just to be clear, this argument was dealt with and the point was... Uh, the argument was that uh, of those flags as being national rather than religious. Whereas, uh, although those that are fully informed will appreciate that this flag that is being flown is not primarily um, religious, it's primarily uh, historical, uh, there is this problem, uh, which is the fact that most people are not aware of the fact most people simply don't know this flag as anything other than like a cross. So, so right. I, I, I take your point, but but I don't. It was that was not the winning argument. The winning argument here's here's the here's the same winning argument for all three cases, and this is why I'm interested in this. And I'm sorry, I know I'm going on, and it, maybe it's not very interesting, but I find it fascinating because the winning argument in all three cases was that this is like a park. The government makes a park and anything, therefore, that happens in the park has been sponsored by the government. If you feed the ducks in the park and you wouldn't have been able to if the government hadn't built the park, then the government has sponsored the feeding of ducks. <laughs> and if you have a nap in the park, the government has sponsored having naps. And if you go to the park and you do yoga, the government has, you know, sponsored just a little bit. You're doing yoga. Also, if you go to the park and pray to Jesus, Allah, Yahweh, 
Alu Akbar, uh, uh, I don't know, Shiva. I was praying to Shiva last night, let me tell you. Uh, it is it is such a relief in some ways that uh, anyway the if you're doing that the government's sponsoring all of that and so this is where liberalism sticks in this is truly a, a fundamental issue of liberalism a practical argument always connects doing something in order to do something else in order to do something else always has a causal chain so if you're connected by a causal chain to something downstream then you are in a sense the agent that caused that thing to happen you you start rolling the ball down the hill and although it takes five minutes at the bottom of the hill it crashes into the car and you've rolled a big bowling ball you roll the bowling ball into the car but liberalism says something different has happened if someone else along the way picked up the ball and then rolled it onwards. And you are no longer the agent of, of that ball once someone else has picked it up and rolled it onwards. Even if you knew with the highest reasonable degree of certainty that if you rolled it down, what they would do is pick it up and roll it down further. Even if you're sure of it, as sure as of it as you are about the laws of gravity or anything doesn't matter another person has intervened and that has that has broken the practical chain of argument that connects your direct responsibility to that thing's direct responsibility so the government builds the park people go and choose their own way in the park because the government is not preferencing one or the other it's no longer the government's beef the government's giving you the school voucher and then the parents choose to spend it here or to spend it there they have picked up the ball and they are now rolling it the other way. Even if the government knows that they're going to roll it, right. it doesn't matter. They have picked. If you up have the a ball. park, people but are going to do heroin in it. <laughs> it's their own choice. The government. It's no. You can't blame everything on the uphill thing. Once, each time a new person intervenes in the practical chain of argument, a new source of responsibility has emerged. That I would say is the essence of liberalism. That is, that is a fundamental point of disagreement between people, I think, like us and people who are hard authoritarians. And I really don't – this is my reading of those judgments. Or let me say this is my very superficial reading of the judgment precy and the deliberations that occurred and the opinions that the justices gave forth on the winning side along the, along the way. And I and I don't and I think it's a I think we can maybe disagree about some of the details in some of the cases, but I think I really I really think that's a good idea to get around. Um, and I was really disappointed to see Reuters, which is in the English speaking world, report on these cases by saying that they're all about religious freedom and they're all about the court. Uh, being a huge and uncritical fan of religious freedom and that's why they've done it uh, that's why they've ruled the way they've ruled um, and this is the sort of joke so, that yeah, the satanic organization the, is the, paying off of right the shorthand of this whole thing is um, uh, this is all happening because the justices the, the court is now filled with Catholics who are set with a religious agenda 
And what I'm trying to say is my fiance has been working on action theory for the last five years. I think she's the world's expert. She keeps telling me about what people have thought about how to, how to think about what it is to do a thing, what it is to hold someone responsible, what it is to be an agent of change, just quite literally in the, in the basic definition of things. What have different people thought about that for the last two and a half thousand years? And I'm seeing a basic idea, which is a controversial idea, that that when when in when new people intervene in a course of action, a new responsibility emerges. Uh, not everyone agrees with that. Someone, some people think it's it's. For example, some religious people think it's there's all only really one agent behind everything, and we're just kind of different expressions, different ripples in the lake um, of one agent. That's not a particularly common view in. Uh, the Abrahamic religions, um, but it has been around, and and sometimes is a sincere form of Buddhism, for example. Um, and I just re I really disagree with that. And the and I don't know, dude. It just seems like that's a. It just seems like that's the underlying pattern that I'm seeing. And and it's not about religion or atheism, or it's about whether you think. Once the government has given you money, it's now your choice what to do with it. Once the government has let you use the park, it's your choice what to do with it. I think I don't. I don't think we can get along without that idea. Um, and and I think because of Dodds Jackson, because of the leak, because of so many different little things, so many ways in which that organization that I really admire is just is just not being treated fairly by some of the most important media institutions in America or in and around America. No, definitely. Wonderful opportunity um, in these three cases to say, look, it all looks like it's about religion, but it's really about liberty. And 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 in, and and that would be a good thing to say to 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 ward off the right, real danger is, of 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 this of is this Christian is what the David in America the David trenches of the world have have long argued as they say the best way to protect Christianity is to protect freedom. Yeah, and they make a lot of these same kind of arguments, saying you know, like Christians should not see the freedom to do things as an enemy, as some people of the Christian nationalist bent have seen. You know, they want to, hmm. for example, uh, uh, have a federal ban on abortions or something like that. So, uh, although, you know, that's slightly different. But anyway, they um, there's there's been some there's been some amusing. So David French originally fell out with. Did you hear about this debate at all? Uh, so he's a very Christian writer, but he argues in favor of of, of uh, freedom generally, and he fell out with a guy yeah. called Sorab Amari. Who was outraged that I think it was a public hospital in uh, where was it California somewhere obviously California had been hosting yeah. what were called yes. drag drag queen story time where like parents could bring their children to have a drag queen read you know progressive books to them like progressive children's books I mean uh, okay whatever uh, and David French said look you can't stop little, people who Sky has three mothers. He has yeah, a exactly, exactly. That kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, uh, 
Saurabh said, no, this must be prevented because it's immoral. It's a misuse of a public space and, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, it's corrupting our youth and exposing children to, you know, sexualization or something at a young age. And David French said, look, if you think that you can ban these people from going to a public place, if you get rid of the principle that basically everyone's allowed to use the public yeah. square, that is going to be used to mean that you can never have a prayer group in a school ever again. And that in ultimately will hurt Christians more. We're not living in a, in a sort of hegemonic mono Christian society anymore. Like America might've been, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, we're now living in a very pluralistic diverse society. And the only way for a religion to flourish is to be allowed to be free and, uh, and away from persecution. And that means putting up with things that you don't like, but that other people like. Yeah, dude. And the best part of every religious text supports that view that that right. that conversion or convincement or uh espousal yeah, or love even, or whatever you know it's even like, in the middle ages i'm pretty sure the church had moratoriums on forcible conversion didn't stop it from happening but officially it wasn't allowed. yes it's <laughs> no, always been this tension between like the yeah the brutes and the and the buttes anyway so i mean i just i I think I think that uh, I think that there, there there is a kind of confidence that's missing. Uh, I think that there are still good institutions worth being confident in them. It's worth being confident in, in one's own faith, whatever that happens to be, uh, or you know one's own, as Weinger might put it, sort of idealization, one's own framework of of morals and and values, and 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 to to have. Yeah, to have at least the faith that, uh, insofar as it's important to convince other people to think the same way, it's better to do so without pointing a gun at them in, at their yes. heads first. Uh, I think that's a great idea, and I think and I think it's I think America really has a, a truly strong tradition around that idea. I mean, you were saying it's is, more pluralistic now than it used to be, but Christian internal right. sectarian Christian divisions have spilt blood in this planet like few other things yeah. and america from the beginning not completely without fault but generally speaking <laughs> right has a far they superior were not nice to the mormons to in terms <laughs> yes correct uh, but partly that was <laughs> but... look yeah but, but... Uh, they, <laughs> it, it's complicated because the mormons were, were breaking some important laws that had nothing to do with religion <laughs> some of the time back in the beginning. <laughs> but they were, yeah, no, there's bigotry, dude. And like when JFK was elected, it was a huge breakthrough. And like, I'm not saying the esteem market has not had its right, problems, no, but, but, but I look, think the, it's compared to what? The founders set up a good system. The founders set up a great system for that market no. to continue progressing towards more and more religious tolerance. And, and, um, and, and, and my worry is that for the next 20 years, because of Roe v. Wade being overturned by Dodge Jackson, having already half been overturned by Casey, but half upheld, uh, and, and other judgments like this, which are really sort of kind of holding the line, I think, uh, in, in a genuinely um, establishment clause protective way. I think they really are protecting religions from being established by the state or or denigrated by the state. They are just saying, dude, once you've made your own choice, yeah, you if can, you're in a public park, it's up to you. Like, you ask, those seem like good judgments. They're being in, demonized. Right. You can ask the churches in Denmark and Sweden how well being an established church worked out for them. 
It's so no one stupid. goes to those it's churches. Just, <laughs> no, <laughs> they're empty. They're, they're subsidized yeah. by the state and they're empty. It it is the scary part of my kind of like view that like it would probably be a good idea for is Israel to become a little bit more Jewish in the sense of a religion rather than like a bloodline sort of hmm. the you know Hitler thought Judaism just was a bloodline like I mean genuinely religious because it, it turns out to to kind of turn down the volume a little bit on fanaticism if you are a state a state yeah. established religion people people relax a little bit um which you don't want everywhere. Uh, anyway, look, I think I think that there are different ways to skin a cat, but none of them include condemning a court for 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 these kinds of judgment, judgments on that kind of basis. It's like just because it is helping some Christian to pray doesn't mean that America is going to become more Christian. And the yeah, just, only way that it because... does is if people keep sending this message and then it backfires by. By bringing out the kinds of people who think that evolution is a dangerous theory to teach because it conflicts with the most just ridiculous because, Just because crazy illiberal people don't like something doesn't mean it's a good reason that we can never then ever make anything that they would like uh, come to practice in law. Like, this is just happens to be a co an unhappy coincidence, one might say. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, also, like, maybe maybe just... I don't know. I suppose I also have this perverse thing where, where, where I recognize that Christianity as a religion particularly centered around, you know, if, if the satanic organization is centered around rituals of abortion, um, Christianity is kind of centered around um, being the innocent victim. Um, I think, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. And I don't, and I, and I don't want to um, recast Christianity as somehow woke or, but but I think that there you know there really is such a terrible thing as as, as being uh, Christianity is much more forgiving of sin than wokeism. <laughs> yes, when it's done right. That's right. <laughs> but like, but like the you know the turn the other cheek thing. Like I I just think from an Asimov perspective, I sometimes worry that. That one could get in a fifty-year rut of like of punishing Christians harder and harder, um, uh, and it being and it being sort of maybe received gracefully, um, and and then building up a kind of resentful backlash, um, you know, in, in a way that a lot of um, soul politics, a lot of. Uh, uh, Rather than Saul, uh, a, a lot of black nationalist <laughs> politics in America, after our friend W. E. B. Du Bois, sort of became the politics of resentment um, in a in a kind of ineluctable way. Uh, I think that's been a difficult force, uh, partly you know triggered by awful, awful wickedness, and then partly perpetuated by. Uh, people who, who, for good or bad reasons, uh, had the wrong response to it. You know, imagine if you imagine if this judgment had gone the wrong way. Imagine, in other words, if all three had gone the wrong way, uh, and they weren't looking at the basic question of liberty, and instead were focusing on on just like tangential questions of what religion are you going to boost or denigrate, and and sort of thought, well, Christians are 
far too dominant in any event. Let's put them down. Right. There's too many. Of and them you do that again and again. Strange. You get like a you get like a sort of Democrat kind of rollerball scenario. If they got 30, 40 years of that, dude, I just think that the kind of Baptist that dude, those mad dude, people who go and shout is, at funeral. You know, there are mad Christians in, in this is in America yeah. or the, the, what are they called? The, the, um, Southern Baptist reformist. Yeah, there's a very oh, man, specific they're, they're group awful. that's all like one family. Oh, you know, they're also they were actually civil rights activists. Did you know that they were founded by civil rights activists? They, I know that. How, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so that actually kind of segues into into a sort of point um, I want to make here about you know what founded you know what founded the modern Christian conservative movement and in many ways gave the big shot in the arm to the modern American conservative movement, which is kind of in some ways coming to its end, I'd argue, under Trump um, because it's turning into something else. But the sort of modern conservative movement was in a lot of ways founded by the Roe v. Wade decision. It was this belief that this kind of um, the progressive view of the judiciary uh, where you can, you know, where the outcome of the law is more important than what the law says, uh, that uh, that experts are dominant. In fact, it's touched on in all of these kind of things that experts should have an enormous amount of say rather than legislatures because experts know what's going on. Uh, that that there was a sort of desire to plan society. That there was a desire to to put Christians in their place. This is what created, in a lot of ways, the modern American conservative movement of Reagan and and the and the sort of nineties and two thousands. Roe v. Wade, the Federalist Society, which is the conservative legal society that is responsible for most aggressively promoting um, originalism and for ensuring that there would be a steady supply of lawyers and judges coming through the system to be appointed to the Supreme Court. Like the Federalist Society is basically responsible for pretty much every single conservative justice on the court right now, except maybe like Kavanaugh, Roberts, and Roberts, but like all the others, you know, uh, Thomas and, yeah. and, and 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 all the others. Gorsuch and he's totally famous society, right? Yeah, right. Um, kind of Barrett was Scalia's mentee, who was like yeah, the, exactly the poster boy for the Federalist Society. Yeah. I, I think I think I think the Federalist Society was uh, like organizationally originally may have been founded by students of Scalia's wife or something like that. I can't remember. I, I, don't, don't take my word on that. But anyway, um, so these court judgments can have very big, profound effects. And I think that particularly by taking these things, these questions out of, you know, uh, out of the legislative process, there has been a kind of, and I, and I alluded to it in my rant earlier, there has been some weird warping political effects now. And what the Democrats don't realize, so some of the Democrats are thinking, they're looking at Roe v. Wade, and they're kind of secretly smiling on the inside because they're saying, ah, you see, this is going to drive women out to the polls who are going to come vote for us, and we're going to manage to prevent the Republicans from destroying us in November. But here's the thing. That's probably not going to happen this time. However... The Democrats are missing a, a, a trick here that's contained in, in and, and they, they're they not quite realizing what they're talking about. So one of the one of the talking points that's gone out from the left in particular has been, look at what Tar Clarence Thomas wrote as a concurrence to the, uh, the, the judgment. He basically said, on, on Roe v. Wade, he basically said, it's not just Roe v. Wade that was decided under dodgy circumstances, drawing out rights that aren't in the Constitution. There's a whole bunch of other laws out there that, 
that like these big precedents that allow everything from yeah. sort of Griswold, interracial marriage to grave gay marriage to all these other things. And that's specifically all... just, just to remind he, he specifically says the 14th Amendment guarantees life, liberty, and property may not be deprived without due process of law. And the due process right. clause uh, has been reinterpreted been as to used. be substantive yeah. due process. And and all Thomas does, I just want to defend Clarence Thomas because I think he's an awkward guy and his wife put him in deep water. But what he points out, yeah. as, as Scalia has <laughs> already I'm not attacking out, him, by the way, but carry on. I know, but I just want to say in case anyone's hearing the wrong, substance in law, in South Africa we usually say the merits or the facts of the case, uh, is different from procedure. So when we fought expropriation without compensation, for example, as the IRR, we had procedural arguments, which were that the hearings on EWC that went around the country were absurd, were vicious, nasty things where there was intimidation, where there were scripts being handed out, all kinds of things. We had our affidavits lined up with my favorite politician, the leader of Pope, etc. cetera. Uh, and also we had... Uh, substantial arguments or merit or arguments on the merits or on the facts which were about how things actually happened likewise oj simpson there was an argument that he's innocent and then there's also the argument that even if he's guilty you can't convict him because the process of right. a chain of custody on the gloves was screwed up so there's process and there's substance so the 14th amendment clearly guarantees process but the the doctrine of substantive due process that's been excavated out of that and is at the heart of Griswold, like gay marriage and various other things, uh, and lies more in Casey than in Roe, I think, in terms of proportion, is uh, is something that, that, that Clarence Thomas criticizes. And I say more in Casey than in Roe because in Roe they don't find a particular place that they rest on, certainly, where there is a right to abortion, whereas Casey does. And they find it in the right. substantive due process clause. So, what, so, so Clarence Thomas is just saying you can't use an oxymoron. In law, substance and process are the opposites. And the, yes. the phrase substantive due process is like the phrase the blue number two or, or happy oxygen. Or it's just you're making a category error. You're just taking <laughs> things that yeah. don't belong together and you're smushing them together. And I, and he's, he's right about that. He's completely, in my opinion, uh, not on board in terms of the extrapolations that he draws from it. Uh, and I'm, I'll turn it back to you. Right. So he, he he's he's made this point about how these things are, have been decided dodgily and there should be re a re-examination of other sort of controversial topics where sort of new rights were found. Um, yeah. And this has been used by the left to say, look, they're, here's, they're going to come for contraception. They're going to come, this religious court is going to come for contraception. It's going to come for uh, interracial marriage. It's going to come for gay rights, all these kind of things. Dude, and the contraception case, sorry, just one other thing. The contraception case was like a New Jersey case from the 1970s or something, where the question was, can the state hand out condoms to people that are already married, like that are subsidized? It was such a weird case where there was like... <laughs> It's, it's so from another planet. It's like, dude, just remember, at the start of this, I mentioned a lady who wrote for the Daily Mail who 50 years ago was not allowed to own property without getting a man's signature to, like, make it happen in the United Kingdom. Like, dude, the world before we were born is very different to the world today. Yes. It's Reminds not coming back. 
Yes. Right. It reminds me of a meme where it says, uh, person, oh man, the past is so great. I wish I lived there. And then it says, the past. And this is just a picture from a medieval manuscript of someone being stabbed with a pike. <laughs> like, you said that to me. I was, I was grumpy and you sent it to me and I felt better. <laughs> so, 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 so Democrats are saying all these laws will, all the, all these rights will be stripped away from you by the courts that are unelected, and this is an illegitimate. The evil Grinch, of your, Clarence Thomas, yeah. is going to come and steal everything that's right. ever been good. Yeah. Here's what they're missing: the left has been extraordinarily successful on winning cultural battles for the last uh, uh, over uh, and over, dude. Since twice, 40, 40, since parents, fifty years at least, right? Since our parents were born, sort of, yeah. You since know, our parents had uh, their first drink. Right. Abortion abortion is probably supported by a majority of Americans. It depends how you poll the question, but, you know, uh, not banning it completely is supported by maybe about 60% of Americans, right? Uh, More, yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. Uh, gay marriage is, I'm not quite sure what the latest polling is, but I would be surprised if there was either a very large minority or if not a pretty big majority that... Um, that is completely in favor of the, of, of the right of same-sex people to marry. Uh, you know, you totally can kind majority. of go down totally. the list. Dude, I've seen those polls. Yeah, I've seen those polls. It's amazing how it's a majority. Yeah, right, right. And, and this is this is all this is all this change. And in fact, they've been so successful that many on the left have had to <laughs> dig up really fringe university theories from the kind of anti-family postmodernist crowd to, to 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 like find this the next you know, uh, as the next battleground of civil rights um, to push, which is once again isolated, I think, a lot of the left from, from, from the majority opinion. But on a lot of the things that most people on the left care about, like you know, gay marriage and things like that, there are strong majorities in favor of it. If the evil Republican court takes away the sort of court rulings which enforce these things rather than uh, 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 and, uh, and throws Lift them back to, to the, the hands of the... Yeah. Right. The Democrats might be able to win on social issues for a thousand years because suddenly a lot of the conservatives who have managed to blend together moderates who like, you know, sort of free markets and a bit of church, but not too much church and like really hardcore Christian nationalists. This has been like their alliance. It's managed to keep conservatives yes. as a very Everyone's like, oh. Voice. Lord, the Obama coalition. You can tell that they look right. different, so they must be different. Dude, the Republicans have had a coalition exactly as you described. Right. And you could split it. You could split it right down the middle by saying, Ooh. hey, uh, we're going to vote on gay marriage. This is a majority opinion. 30% of Republicans are totally on board with it and maybe more. Uh, mm. And and the others you know, are going to defect, uh, and, and there's going to be a split in the party. Exactly, be infighting, and, and the Democrats can go back to the majority control that they used to have in the sort of middle of the century, or the middle of the 20th century. Yeah, they are completely missing this because at Dude, the fundamental, they could core, be. Oh, Bi Biden could be FDR, right? Is what you're saying? Yeah, like right. <laughs> if right. he was alive. So they have won on a lot of social issues with the public. So if it goes to the goes to the 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 the, the vote. You know, there yeah. are going to be some places that don't allow these things. But by and large, at the federal level in particular, when these issues are of concern, they are going to, you know, they're going to win on them. They're going to be winning issues for them. They're going to dominate, dude. And they will and be able, rather it's than not being, just about the vote. Right. It's the debates building up to the vote. The Republicans like, oh, let's talk about taxes. Let's talk about inflation. And the Democrats and are like, 
Honey, let's and talk about whether you want to command how another man sleeps at night and who he sleeps with. Because right. Americans and, and, are going to... And they'll be able to smuggle in all of their other stupid economic stuff completely on board with these social issues. <laughs> because, because I every don't time care. the conversation... Right. You can't be my banker if you if you think gay people aren't allowed to exist. Or, I, right, I don't or contraception must be banned or whatever, right? Yes. And it'll force the Republican Party itself to choose which of those two identities it wants. Um, and I'm sure most of them will probably choose to be on the side of kind of expanding a lot of these rights. But yeah, but they, a, they could do this. But, in, but in here's, here's, and, yeah, exactly. here, here's the problem. There's two problems. One is that the activist people who constantly need new causes to fight for um, and so are always coming up with a new front line for civil rights and put extreme amounts of esteem and monetary pressure on the Dems to take up ever more kind of avant-garde social positions. So that's one thing standing in their way. And the other thing standing in their way is I think, unfortunately, a lot of people on the American left in their intellectual class, not necessarily in their voting block, think that they actually don't believe that America is anything other than a backwards place full of redneck savages and that you can't trust them to vote on something like gay marriage because they're going to come to the wrong conclusion. And so rather than trying to persuade right. people, they, so they go out and they say that the court needs to make this decision because we can't trust these godless, these, 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 uh, these rubes to make the right decision because they're all fools and idiots. And, mm -hmm. and only when, when their betters tell them what to do, will they comply. And I don't think a lot of the time that that's a conscious necessarily uh, belief or the sometimes no dude like, but it's a little i'm an elite you're a pleb i know better but i can't dude i don't have the time to explain it to you because i need to get to the next issue and in the meanwhile right. you need to do what you're told and so they are they are cutting their nose off despite their face i think on a lot of these issues by so strongly yeah. freaking out because the the, the originalists make a really good point about the u.s constitution and it's a point that Democrats sometimes make, that the left sometimes makes too, which says it's an old document and it says specific things. And those specific things don't always account for the ways in which society has changed. And here's the great thing. You can amend it. In fact, they've amended it more than 20 times to make it say new things. And yeah. maybe, you know, instead of trying to sneak it in through a regulation or get it in through the courts, you should actually convince people that there should be a constitutional right to an abortion. Did it be did convince? No, we've got to we've got to whip up the base so that they have a higher turnout number, so that by three points we can put the Republicans in the Senate. <laughs> That's how they did. think about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, did, let me tell you, I like. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you because you know, dude, convincing people is work. Yes, it's like, hard. <laughs> it looks fun. And a lot of the time it is fun, but some of the time I would really... And people are difficult and they bring up rubbish oh and they sidetrack oh the conversation my. and they have misconceptions about things and you have to do an enormous oh. amount of work. But you know what? If you stop trying to convince oh. people, democracy is a completely oh. pointless exercise. So come on, everyone. Dude, living... <laughs> if you stop trying to convince people, I think you should play computer games. Like, I would very much like this. Like, dude, I think it's about time. I really did think that the internet was a wonderful thing. And uh, I was critical of it. I'm very 
proudly brag that I think I wrote the first uh, South African treaties warning about the internet's uh, shortcomings when Obama was still president and before Trump had ran. Because when Obama used Facebook in 2012, everyone was like, ah, oh, it's amazing. When Trump used it in 2016, they were like, ah, oh, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> but there were clearly problems with the internet. Dude, but it's a, but, and we've been, we've, you know, there was a upslide and a downslide. And, It'll settle back in the same position as radio and TV and writing itself, uh, which has its costs and its benefits. But, dude, it's about time that technology gives us a new gift. And what I want from technology, my my prayer, dude, if I could, like, yes, I need to, like, figure out how to pray properly. Because please, can we just get this, like, immersive AI out there universe <laughs> that deprives very little resources excepting a few... Please, 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 can the people go away? These people who don't care about being serious, who just want to get attention and spread the hana hana and get some excitement. And in particular, these people that think that plebs are not worth hanging out with. Dude, obviously, the metaverse is first going to be occupied by people with very extreme high-speed bandwidth. Uh, multiple screens, goggles, you know, intravenous injections of of vitamins and like liquid protein nutrients. It's going to be for the non-plebs who don't want to be around the plebs anyway. Instead of trying to rule everybody else's life, if they could just go and play computer games with each other, I know there's going to be a problem down the line because that's what like the computer players like they also made their problems but it happened 20 years later just give us 20 years go fuck go play computer games for 20 years go fragge one another and leave us be and let us and let us try and convince one another in your absence i would very much enjoy that <laughs> because i All think right, so because nick dude i have please let me remind you dude you grew up I think, in a way, on the right side of history for our lifetime so far. But, you know, not that the Republican <laughs> Party hasn't also got its, its like, extreme stains uh, around its various orify. Um, I grew up as a Democrat lover. Before my first political consciousness was, like, Bill Clinton's pretty cool. George Bush is, you know, and he's being criticized for sleeping with an intern. Ah, it's fine was the sort of attitude of the bohemians I was hanging out with as an eight-year-old. And I didn't, I, I still missed basically. <laughs> uh, and, and George Bush uh, prosecuted a, a really awful war against Iraq on false pretenses. And uh, I don't want to really get it, but you know, I, I was very grumpy with those guys and very, and I, I wept with both Republicans and independents and Democrats with joy when Barack Obama was elected in 2008. I, have been so disappointed since I turned 21 years old by the Democratic Party of America. I really, really, truly like there's a there's a there's a there's a huge patch on my back that I don't have the arm length to reach, but there's an itch there for like greatness from the Democratic Party of America that I would love to scratch. And what you are describing is exactly that, dude. If they say we don't resent the courts. We embrace the courts because social consensus handed down from unelected elites is fragile. It is fractious. It is never-ending friction. But this social is, this consensus is what Trump that is achieved on. through convincement. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what I believe. Let me convince you. Come, sit down with me. Let, us, let me listen to your problems. And let me explain to you why my view will help 
soothe your concerns and nevertheless embrace the, the, the value that I'm trying to espouse. Like, please give me some of that. Dude, I would honestly, if they if that Concord struck down the constitutional right to gay marriage and Democrats could run on that and say, I would I would like try and fly to America to convince people that you should let people marry of the same sex. This this was uh, said openly or, by commentators. Or rather maintain this right because I think it's such a winning argument and I think you can find humans. When, when when that when that argument came when that ruling came down the down the pike, it was openly said by analysts of, of, of the right who actually understand the right, people on the right, that a lot of Republican politicians were sighing with relief that the court had taken the decisions on gay marriage out of the legislature because now they didn't have to talk about it. It was a divisive issue for their coalitions. It was a vote say, loser. They were trying to... Right. Yeah. They, they were trying to hold together their, their right flank with their sort of more centrist flank, and it just... It was a nightmare. It was a really difficult line to walk, and now that decision was out of their hands. They didn't even have to talk about it anymore, and so it doesn't matter, and, and that was a great thing for them. <laughs> and... Democrats are missing missing that, you know, if you trust the public and you convince people and you trust democracy in some Dude, sort and of if you don't sense. get out of politics. Yeah. If you yeah, do, yeah. you will be rewarded. If you don't, you must but there's not, a lot of there's a lot of consultants who will tell you that the real way to win run. Take, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of consultants out there who will tell you that this is all nonsense and the best way is just to boost turnout in this demographic by targeting this ad at them. And those people must go away. <laughs> Dude, Nicholas, those we people, have to those people messed up the, the, the DA, by the way, as well, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> exactly. Dude, we need to stop we need to stop podcasting. We need to start designing video games. That are like these people who believe in micro targeting. We need to design a video game that micro targets people who believe in micro targeting. <laughs> and just like, I don't want to remove them from the equation in a way that hurts their feelings, but clearly their values have nothing to do with other individuals as agents that are sources of responsibility, that are sources yeah. of originality, that are sources of a creativity. No matter how beautiful or ugly or interesting or whatever, educated, dude, every human being. That idea that every human being has a has a weight, they don't believe in that. Do they think every human being push it around? Those oaks must go play in a world where that makes sense. Uh, it's you know, it's 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 clearly designable. Uh, I think the matrix, <laughs> dude. I think the matrix is like a political opportunity here. People who there are people who want to be in the matrix, and they're yes. running humanity, and they should just go and shoot each other with digits. <laughs> <laughs> all right we so we're very over time we tried to go shorter because we actually have a social thing that both of us need to get to a little bit later um so recommendations uh can i start wait i want to start this time because i told you what my recommendation is okay sure but you ahead. asked and you always go first so you go first go ahead okay so i want to recommend a youtube video called <clears throat> Annoyingly clickbait title, but it's a very good video. Uh, the absurd second century space opera you'll never read. It's by a guy called Austin McConnell. It's a pretty big channel on YouTube, but I came across this because the algorithm gifted it to me. And it is a great video. It's about a Greek Roman author. He's a, he's a Greek, but he's writing during the Roman period. Um, writing what is arguably the world's first sci fi. 
making fun of the travel logs of the time. And the story is about these these Greek sailors. He, he, supposedly him. It's supposed he, he starts off by saying everything in the unlike everyone else who writes these ridiculous travel logs, they just make up crap about what the outside world looks like. I'm gonna tell you up front, this is all a lie. But anyway, you should probably read it. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about how I love that. So he's he like Herodotus, but but like yes. a little bit more honest. Right, exactly. Which, which, so it's which a satire point of, out the funny thing is like Herodotus was the father of history. The slightly yes. less honest guy started history. The slightly more honest guy started science fiction. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So so he goes on and he tells this like completely fanciful tale about how he went on a trip to the West into the Atlantic Ocean and he got picked up by uh, uh, some winds which carried him into the, into space. Uh, and of course, I didn't know that space has no atmosphere back then. So the, the ship sailed to the moon. And on the moon, it met the moon king and the moon king. Uh, and he, and they joined him in his war with the sun kingdom because they also thought the sun was like a kind of like a planet. Uh, they didn't realize it was, a, you know, a burning hot ball. Uh, and the, the two sides have this magnificent battle on like giant ants and flying vultures and things like that it's really dramatic sci-fi stuff uh sound of sci-fi fantasy stuff it's kind of like lord of the rings fused with um Dude, what year is uh, this being star wars this is in the i think it's in the the, the 100 somewhere oh. <laughs> and, and he he goes and then he then also make he's clearly making fun of a text that we no longer have access to um, but he then goes on at length to talk about the reproductive system of the moon people and how they they don't have uh, 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 separate genders. They're all men. There are no women on the moon. It's the direct quote. It's <laughs> <laughs> technically correct. Uh, and that for the first 25 years, the men can get pregnant. And then for the next though. 25 years, they could get someone oh. pregnant. And, uh, and, and, and uh, really? they, they, instead of carrying the fetus in their womb, they carry it in their calf muscle. And then it births from their calf. And he's clearly yes. making fun of someone. But anyway, he, yeah. he writes this whole fantasyful thing. And at the end, he leaves it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> and he then says, and I'll, I'll tell you what happens next in the next book. And we, we don't know what happened. But on one of these manuscripts that survives through the ages, another scholar wrote who read it centuries later said, and that was his greatest lie. <laughs> ah. <laughs> there would be a sequel. <laughs> so it's absolutely fantastic. I'll link the video in the show notes. Very good. Very good. Okay. I want to make a couple of recommendations. Uh, it's my prerogative. It's Friday. We're, we're going to go. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough goodbye. Okay. First is uh, a link that I will attach to a story which has it that the Pentagon has done an investigation into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies more generally and has found that they are so open. I mean, what the, what the Pentagon has done is it solved the greatest mystery of South Africa in a way of the last three years. I mean, South Africa, which can't keep the, which can't put power in a plug point for two days in a row anywhere okay even the places with generators it cuts out and then it comes back okay so the, i'm talking about that south africa 
where there's many more unemployed people than people who in work and where we can't even remember the most important political story. That South Africa somehow managed to produce the biggest heist in cryptocurrency, not once, but twice in the last four years. This has always made me wonder, why is it we're so good at stealing cryptocurrency or befuddling people with cryptocurrency? Okay, this thing has found, roughly speaking, that 25% of cryptocurrency is mined by two companies, one of which doesn't have a password, and the other one <laughs> has the password one, two, three. <laughs> so I know a family member of mine listens to the show. Dude, they stole your password. <laughs> we need to change it. I'm very worried. <laughs> okay. And and I will I will I will post the link by Tech Republic about like why you know the thing about property rights is is there's all kinds of structures necessary to make sure that people don't steal your stuff. Okay, second second link, um, I do want to put the the piece by National Review, just pointing out that if you're in America and you want to get an abortion because your life's in danger. Lunatic lefties that are saying you can't do that are putting their political advertising ahead of very important information that could be very dangerous. Um, so check it out. You can do that, and please do do that. And and like, I'm sure we've got a very niche podcast. The odds that someone's in that position are very unlikely. We're in South Africa, but you know, check it out. Just I, sometimes I think just the idea of people. Absorbing facts can help the the silly advertising go away. I don't know, but and then the third one that I that I mentioned before the show is Mac G and Chill, uh, which is the biggest uh, show in South Africa. And I was talking with a colleague of mine; he's been checking out. I've been checking it out for a while because I think if you live, I think one thing that I really respect about my mother is that she is how much she enjoys engaging in. South African pop culture, the big uh, soapies, the the music of the day. Uh, it's important. It's important to just have a flavor of like where you are in that kind of way, because whatever street you're driving down, it's not like fifty five hundred thousand people are on the same street, uh, but you can watch a YouTube video that's got that regularly. Um, it's a very unusual thing. It's a sort of latecomer in South Africa. But McGee and Chill is by far the dominant sort of tastemaker in this country. And I've watched a few. I think it's good to, to keep an eye on that. Uh, there's some good stuff. There's some worrying stuff. Some just interesting stuff, you know. It's, it's rewarding. Okay, there's my rec. Cool. And with that, all we can say is uh, keep the flag of liberty flying. Grr, grr.